Life's a Mitch. G'day, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Life's a Mitch podcast. So this week, uh, we've got another very, very special guest. So I've spoken to Matt O'Kine, Mark Fennell, and the guys from Scrubs. But my next guest is a musician that I've listened to for oh, a decade. Uh, first heard, him, heard her voice you know, coming through the speakers on playing on Triple J, which, which is Australia's youth broadcast network known for playing alternative sort of music. I'm a bit nervous, but uh, next guest is a very, very, very talented singer, multi-instrumentalist. She used to be the lead singer of the band called the Jezebels, and she's a solo artist as well, killing it, and has just released a new EP called The Drip. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce Hayley Mary. How are you today? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I feel like you talked me up a bit there. I could make slight corrections, but I won't because it made me sound really good. Deservedly so, I thought. It's all just a matter of opinion with some of it. Like, I wouldn't call myself a multi-instrumentalist, but then I'm like, well, I do occasionally dabble on multiple instruments, so. Well, if <laughs> if, uh, if social media is anything to go off, you're, you're actually uh, convincing me that, like, on all your incidents, stuff you got the guitar yeah right cool good on you <laughs> yeah so i suppose i'm just terrible at most of them <laughs> so you're absolutely killing it good on you Thanks. as i said just before uh, thank you for coming on this means the world to me and i guess i'm a bit of a Haley mary nerd I've, I've enjoyed your music you know for a long time and um and it's really humbling to see that someone you've admired for so long uh, when you after you reach out and have them get back to you and see a plan form you know and to see like come together so i hope i'm not coming across too much of a of a nerd or whatever um <laughs> i just no, no not so far sweet well i'm two minutes in and i'm already killing it good job mitch <laughs> i just wanted to know to kick things off i'd like to ask people if this is a bit of an icebreaker question what was the first thing you were ever a fan of and this could include anything it could be a movie a book a band you liked anything at all it's, uh the- Maybe it's just fresh in my memory because I've talked about it a few times because it's a musical thing. Um, there might have been things before this that were not musical, but this is the one I remember the most was actually Unchained Melody. In the movie Ghost? Cool. That's a so, deep cut. You know Ghost? I've seen, yeah, it takes me back. Yeah, it's an amazing film. <laughs> um, I think it was an 80s classic with Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore. There's this famous scene where... She's a potter, like she makes ceramic sculptures, sculptures, and she's got this, I forget what they're called, pottery wheel, I guess. Um, and she's spinning this vase and then he comes in and they're all in love and like puts his hands on it and like starts ruining it, but it gets all sensual and sexual and then <laughs> Unchained Melody <laughs> by the Righteous Brothers comes on the record player and it's got that crackle, you know, like yeah. The song changes and I'm like, there's a few things. And then suddenly they're in bed, but their hands are all clean. Like there's a few movie magic things that I was very cynical of even as a four-year-old where I was like, well, how did the record player go to that? Because it was on a different record and also how are their hands clean now? <laughs> but the song was just like, I don't know, it just blew my mind and I coincidentally was in the toilet. My dad had a song book yeah, right. and, um, and I was reading it and I recognised the lyrics because, you know, you, there was no internet at this stage. Yeah. So you couldn't just like Google lyrics or find out what a song was or something like that. And I couldn't record it. So I had to just remember it. There was no one there with me to be like, what's this song? And then I was lucky enough to kind of, yeah, see that the Lonely Rivers flow a bit in this, while I was flicking through the songbook and I was like, oh, Unchained Melody, Dad, show me this song. And like he taught it to me. It was the first um, first song I ever learned to sing. That's cool. So like, is that where you sort of, you started your music careers? Like when you love your music, like through your dad, did he was a big influence on you growing up, was he? Yeah, he was. I mean, but I think in retrospect, I think actually both my parents were, but my dad was the more overtly musical one. Like he played music and um, a lot. And my mum actually did play piano, but it was something I didn't realise because dad was kind of the muso guy, whereas mum had taught herself to play piano, but we didn't have a piano and she never really, you know, she wasn't much of a extrovert. So, um, yeah, definitely through dad I got a lot of knowledge, but then mum listened to like 80s diva, Kind of, and just pop. She always just listened to like mainstream pop and feel good music and was always dancing around the kitchen to rage or whatever. So that yeah. definitely rubbed off on me a lot. I remember plenty of Saturday mornings just listening to rage just like as a teenager. I think I'm about your age. And um, I just, yeah, making musical discoveries that I'd never really heard before. Like bands like Spider Bait, I don't know, Rage Against the Machine. 
alternative bands that generally weren't played on your normal mainstream radios. It was really cool, actually. And also circa 90s, late 90s, mid-90s, grungy sort of bands as well. That's what I gravitated towards. Wow, that's a deep reference right there too. That's cool. It's kind of nice to sort of see where the genesis of your music fandom comes from. Okay, next question. When you're touring and stuff, um, no matter where you are in the world, what's a guilty pleasure that like you either can't live without when you're at home or Hayley can't go without? Um, I I had a thought, but it wasn't so much something I can't live without, like a favourite food or something. Like I probably wouldn't be able to go without Netflix or something. But back in the day, maybe not. But um, I have this weird weakness for which I now know is ASMR. Um, do you know ASMR? Oh, off the top of my head, no. Uh, so it's I think it stands for auto or audio, I can't remember, autosensory meridian response, which is basically like certain people hear certain sounds and it gives them like um, sort of like shivers or like it's like quite a positive tingly feeling. Yeah. And um, I used to get this from certain voices and I had no idea why. I just thought I was a bit of a creep. Like some people would just start talking to me and I'd be like, no, stop, please don't stop talking and it it (laughs) actually manifested on tour it kind of manifested in this like um sort of shopping problem because I, I found that people who try and sell you stuff often have this voice like I'd be walking through a mall on like a day off in some middle American shithole of a town (laughs) and like someone would come up to me and be like hey do you have nice skincare products at home and I'd be like well yes I do because I've bought them off all of the people like you but like tell me about it and I couldn't resist these kind of sales pitches just talking to me because their voices sounded so amazing so I would let them just show me like all of the products for like half an hour because I had nothing else to do and then I'd be like all right I have to buy something now so I had this kind of and telemarketers as well like I often couldn't hang up on them yeah because they have the soothing often like foreign accents are the ones that give you it like because it's a bit different and so it was just I was just a victim to ASMR which I didn't know what it was at the time. Like there was no articulation of it on the internet. So I was like, this is just weird thing that happens to me when people try and sell me stuff. I just can't, I don't even want the stuff. I just can't stop listening to them talking. <laughs> I didn't know, I didn't know that was a thing, but you're exactly right though. I mean, it's just it's like. On the internet everywhere now. There's like ASMR porn. Like basically it's not actually porn, but it's videos of set people just talking and saying soothing stuff. I mean, I definitely will. I mean, there's some podcasts I listen to that sue the shit out of me. So maybe yeah. I somewhat uh, have it as well. I don't know. Um, yeah. But just talking about like your time touring and, you know, obviously you've been touring a while now. Which brings me to my next question. Can you think of a gig that you played somewhere in the world that was like a really cool stage and a really cool setup? Like what does any sort of stand out to you Like or that was really memorable, like the actual venue you played in? I think the most memorable venue I've ever experienced was in Cologne. No, was it Cologne? No, Hamburg, sorry. And it was a Nazi bunker like an old Nazi bunker that that's wicked cool they, they kind of they couldn't they tried to destroy the Nazi infrastructure but they couldn't because it was too well built <laughs> so so um they because it was like this was like a, a giant kind of you know mid-century bunker that was like no not mid-century earlier but it was it was built sort of in a modern modernist way it looked kind of mid-century it was this big square concrete thing but it was about three meters thick the walls yeah. so like you just you couldn't break it down and they tried to but then like it was just not worth the resources so they were like well how can we kind of reclaim this I feel like it's a bit of a metaphor for the entirety of the German German history around that period because it was like you can't just obliterate it like you can't make it disappear no. so how can we kind of deal with this in a way that acknowledges but also like turns it on its head a bit and be creative about it in a kind of progressive way so they turned it into like an arts factory kind of thing and it was like full of like queer nights and clubs and like there was different rooms in there and it was like super cool like it was like something out of a, like a gothic film one night um, everyone was dressed in black and like S&M gear and it was like we walked through this crowd and then we went up to another level and played this show and it was like awesome that's <laughs> yeah, sick in it as well it was like yeah that was probably my best experience of a um of a venue cool. and to add to it outside you know um St. Pauli the St. Pauli the um I think they're an anti-fascist 
uh, football team in Germany. Yeah, Sao Pauli, um, they're playing, I'm pretty sure it's called the Bundesliga over there, isn't it? Yeah, Paolo or pa- pa- Pauli? I thought it was poorly. Uh, you could anyway, be right. I'm not sure. Um, anyway, they were um, rioting with like slightly right wing. There was like a right wing rally and there was a Sampali rally that was coming up against it outside during all of this as well. So it was like so um, there was just a lot of energy in the air to be playing in a Nazi bunker. It was like, whoa, this is pretty real. <laughs> That's See, like, that's why I want to talk to you. You got cool stories. That's that's what exactly what this podcast is all about. I knew it was right while reaching out. That's sick. I remember um, my time in Munich, and there was uh, we got taken on a tour, and um, you know, talking about like Nazi, you call it remnants. There was a, a a political building there that still had like swastikas covered in it, and they couldn't they they couldn't change it because because it was deemed heritage listed. Um, you know, it's just a little hidden, like I guess you could call it, a little bit of history that not many people knew about. And I, th- I commended the the tour guide for going out of his way to show us this little piece of history. Anyways, got to admit, still a little bit nervous. <laughs> Sorry about that. Just got to try and uh, focus and center myself right now. That's alright. I'm just, you know, you do this 101 times. You think, sweet, I'm on top of my game. And before you know it, you're bloody, you're back to that uh, that weird teenage kid who was like, I like your music, yay. Quarter vibes. Um, so I also went on a, um, a Cold War tour in, in Germany once, and it was a similar thing. Um, it's like amazing stories and just being there in in the place, learning about how they ran out of bananas in I think it was West Berlin when the wall came down because that was the one thing that East Berlin just didn't have any of. So when the wall finally came down, they were like, "We're getting bananas." I wonder if that's where the saying "going bananas" came from. <laughs> That's, but anyway, I, 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 well, if it is, that's yeah, mind blown. More, I've yeah. recently learned the other day is that you know the expression "be there or be square." Yeah, but people say that because you won't be around. I was like, you know, you could go your whole life not knowing interesting facts, and you learn something like that is like that is. Amazing. Oh my god! Like round. Yeah, is in like be there or be square. Is in you won't be present. I was like. Boom! That had a math teacher would have had to have come up with that one, surely. Oh, that's my that, fun fact. That's my fun fact of the day. <laughs> that is cool. I like that. Good to know these things. And the, I love the origin of stories and word, uh, words and that kind of thing, like etymology, like where where words come from. And another little cheeky word fact I know: the word the word sand is like a hybrid word between land and sea. Put them together, you get sand. Oh my gosh! This is great. See. Here in Curry Curry, we have all the amazing facts. <laughs> <laughs> Play so shit, they named it twice. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Got an interesting question for you is, you know, every musician hears this question, but like for you, you've already mentioned your dad, but who were some other people that um, have been a massive influence to you both musically and like in your personal life as well? Do you mean like people I know? Yeah, or it could be people you know or like like a someone like you resonated with, like a singer or an actor or whoever? Well, I guess through through dad and mum, but firstly dad, there was like um, kind of rock world. Like I got into 70s rock a lot, like Queen and David Bowie and um, ELO and stuff like that, like quite dramatic British stuff, a bit of like Kate Bush, that kind of thing. Yeah. But um, and through mom, I got into more 80s and 90s stuff. Like she loved Cindy Lauper and, oh, and also through dad, it was a, a earlier stuff like, you know, your Unchained Melody, your Roy Orbison, um, those kinds of like earlier, you know, classic sort of rock stuff. Yep. And then, yeah, mum was kind of into the all the 80s. Cindy Lauper, like Belinda Carlisle, um, and like she would listen to the Spice Girls and stuff. Like she had no no sense of snobbery. like more contemporary stuff so yeah i guess um that was sorry i'm just a bit i feel a bit funny talking in front of my boyfriend he just walked in (laughs) is it that's johnny Uh, you know i just you know what i just did i just realized the wave that a blank screen well done mitch you dickhead (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and then i guess moving to like later on growing up like 
high school obviously influenced me in boys I liked and shit and that was like kind of the punk era and like hardcore was really big in Byron where I was growing up so that influenced me a fair bit um at the time but it also became something that I kind of reacted against because it was a bit of a um bit of a blokey scene in the kind of surfy hardcore world and I think that sort of turned me into kind of wanting to make my own kind of music yeah, and, cool. And meet, meeting Heather at school was a factor in that as well. Like the only other girl I knew that played music was Heather in the Jezebels. So we started playing together and that kind of eventuated in us having the Jezebels later when we finished school. And so she was probably an, a good early influence as well and that yeah. she kind of played piano and like kind of was into more like quirky female artists like Tori Amos and Bjork and that kind of thing, which definitely probably feeds in to the direction the Jezebels kind of go in as well. Yeah, nice. So that's that's the genesis of the Jezebels. You met Heather at school and then you uh, moved to Sydney, you went to uni and met the boys, didn't you, and formed there. Is that right? Yeah. Well, we knew Sam from Byron too because Sam went to a different high school to us, but we knew him around and I'd gone there for a term. But I met him again properly at Sydney Uni where he was also going and we were like, yeah, let's um, – Start a band. No, yeah, that was about band. circa 07, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, sort of, I'm just like going back through like many, many songs over the years I've resonated with. And I think one of the first ones I heard through Triple J, I think it was, uh, might have been Mace Spray or, um, or maybe She's So Hard. I'm not sure. But I was like, I was just driving along, going to work. I'm like, oh, so it was probably Mace Spray. Mace, fair enough. Um, and I was just going, who, what, who is this? Because I, I know at this point you'd been around for a while, but it took me a bit to get like sort of listening to triple j and unearthed and stuff like that and then i deep dove and i'm like okay so i went out and bought she's so hard and dark storm from jb hi-fi i think and those cds got to work out i can assure you <laughs> cool. thank and, you and um you know prisoner not long come out after that and but of all the of all the jezebel's music which i don't know what it was but the the cynthia album was what I resonated with heaps. Um, maybe it was because of the more synthesizers used. Or maybe it's because I'd seen you play a few times and I was eagerly awaiting new material and it was just absolutely on point at the time and it just sort of resonated with me. I'm not sure. And of all the songs you released prior to this point, the one that stuck out the most to me was probably Unnatural. It, um, I don't know, it's kooky, it's quirky, it's random, and it, that Celtic riff, I don't know what it is, but I'm just rambling on. I'm so sorry. But yeah, long story short, that has been a personal favourite of mine since its release really Um, it's funny and i I actually i hear that a fair bit weirdly enough um like i think that's such a weird song but um there's quite a few people say it to me and also like i was back in byron recently hanging out with some old school friends and they were like we love that cynthia album hey and i was like do you know what i sometimes think because it didn't really get its chance to shine because we had um the tour for that got cancelled like it was um yeah kind of it never really got to see the light of day properly because we had um heather was sick and it was kind of like it's sort of like the album that was that never really was and we never really did much after we did one song after but it was kind of like we were losing momentum but i think in in the actual music and the recording um like we were really happy with it and a lot of people were as well but it just never really got to um we never really got to know that notice that because we didn't tour it much yeah. And um, yeah, and, and a number of people bring up unnatural as well, which I find really funny um, because it is such a weird, weird song. But for some reason, it resonates with some people. It's cool. It's cool to hear that again because yeah. it makes me think next time we play, we should play it. Yes, I hope you do. I will be there front and center screaming my little ass off. <laughs> oh, gosh, you just took me back to, I think, the first time I've seen you play. And since then, I've probably seen the Jezebels play about five or six times. The first time, I think, was Groove in the Moo circa 2014. And you, when you when played Endless Summer, I was like, oh, my Lord, this is freaking awesome. And, you know, the fanboy in me was just absolutely loving it, hey. And sorry, I digress. Uh, I was just going to ask you, how's Heather doing? Uh, is she, like, doing okay at the moment, do you know, or...? she's really good she's fine um she had an experimental drug trial that went really well for her and so i think because if it's an experiment if it's a trial you and it works for you i think you get like a free supply for life or something so at this stage obviously she's still gonna like you know check it out all the time and that kind of thing but seems like she's um very much 
on the mend with it all. And um, I mean, to be honest with you, we don't talk a lot about it. Like it's, we don't all hang out that much anymore. Like we live in separate cities, but like that was kind of, I hear if there's any like kind of major news and that was the last major news and it seems like she's going really well. Oh, that's good to hear. A Um, couple of years now, I think that she's been kind of clear and doing well. Oh, good stuff. All right. Well, I know that you've been on hiatus since what, circa 17. Um, but he's come back together and played the Recharge Festival live on YouTube. How was that? Yeah, that was really good. It was kind of, uh, I was a bit nervous because I wasn't sure whether we'd actually sound good anymore. Like we hadn't played together for so long. But it actually was a little bit like riding a bike. Like it kind of just happened naturally, it was, which is a cool thing when you've played that many hundreds of shows together that you kind of, even though you've, got, you've gone off into different um you know, directions with your life and your work, work and stuff, you come back and it's kind of like, oh, yeah, this old thing, I know how to do this. <laughs> and it felt very natural. Um, it was odd with the whole COVID thing. Obviously, it was one of the first of those things, but I've gotten pretty used to them now. I think most of us have. <laughs> yeah. how's um how's COVID life treating you because like you know being a, a solo artist in these times um how is everything going for you now um I I like a lot of elements of it in that it's given me a lot of time to like um get my live band together like get better at I, I've taken I've you know I've basically just turned it into a bit of a silver lining situation where I've like taken the opportunity to do things that I didn't really have time to do before like I'm, I'm actually studying production at TAFE to try and kind of enable myself a bit more in terms of like getting demos to a better level communicating in the studio that kind of thing um knowing what I want like just experimenting and having the ability to go different directions without too much help from other people which has been really actually hugely liberating and I don't know if that would have happened without COVID um similarly we're like trying to learn guitar like I only picked up the guitar a few years ago and that was obviously the the start of writing solo stuff but like I'm really basic at it and I'm just trying to slowly get a bit better at it to perform acoustic shows and that kind of thing so it's nice having the time to do that like I'm in a positive frame of mind about it now but when it first happened and it was like I've just put out my first EP solo I was pretty disappointed that like I couldn't tour it and then I was due to go to Great Escape and play in the UK and maybe Germany and that obviously didn't happen. You know, there's there's sad things, but like I'm just trying to not focus on them. Yeah, okay. It's um like it's, like a Yeah, you're exactly right though. I mean, um, you know, it's the same for me. Like in terms of like COVID, this pro this uh little thing wouldn't have started because you know, you'd still be doing normal things that you do. Like, you know, I call it an autopilot. People just do their job, go about their routine, and you know, it's just it happens for longer than it should. And I've always been someone who's been freely like free spirited and I've lived in different countries around the world and I've always been somewhat creative. And I think that COVID has allowed me to have the time to, to do this little podcast. I'm trying to have a crack at, and you know what, some of the people I've met through um, like zoom meetings and stuff like that, I've had a great, I've had the best time. Like this probably yeah. wouldn't have happened if, you know, I probably wouldn't be talking to you, someone who I've been a genuine fan of for a decade. And, you know, it's, it's, it's at a time where there are good things you can focus on. So, you know, it's nice to know that there's some other people out there with a similar frame of mind than me, I suppose. Um, yeah. Exactly. You got to roll with it. That's it. Just I'm, I'm like, I'm like a big avalanche. Just there's no stopping this thing. Holy crap. I've gotten fat too. It's been great. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Snowball effect. It's like, oh, so I I work in the mining industry and we do shift work and um, we, we drive those big, uh, those big like Tonka truck looking things. And I mm-hmm. look down, I've certainly got a, a case of truck gut. And you know what? Don't care. <laughs> I'm, oh, large and in charge. I'm Mitch Kelly. <laughs> yeah, I totally. wanted to ask you as well, um, what, a, what a segue. I'm about as smooth as my bald head. <laughs> well, yeah, can, I, uh, can I just ask you a, a question about some of the lyrics um, in one of your songs on Cynthia? Is that okay? You can. Do you have this question written down? Uh, yeah, I've I got like bullet points. Will you remember it if I just bring up something that's related to what you were just saying? Yeah, 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 by all means. So you, you work in mining. Yep. Um, wh- what kind of mining? Uh, in uh, coal mining. Do, do they have any, like, entertainment there? Uh, in terms of, like, g- mines putting like, on gigs? Does anyone ever come and play? Um, they have. So one like, of the... 
big one of the big companies hosts like yearly they host like a like a fate sort of thing um and it's kind of like putting money back into the community so it's like you know stalls and they might have some music yeah there there are some mining sponsored shows i'll um i'll send through what i know after this if you want um i'll give you yeah i'd I'd love to play like i've got this weird kind of johnny cash thing where like i like I've, I've always wanted to do a prison tour, but my yeah, manager yes. not sure like that's a vibe. And I'm like, I'm sure it's a vibe, but I just don't think you'd make any money off it. And I'm like, well, what else can I do? Can I go play at the mines? Like, <laughs> Quite often different mining regions and the mines themselves will have open days where you can go and explore what's going on. You know, see the gear, have the kids take photos, uh, all that sort of thing. It's actually pretty cool. And uh, they had some music playing there. I mean, how cool would it be to see you up there doing your thing on like the balcony of one of the whole trucks about eight meters in the air, just doing your thing? That'd be sick. <laughs> I'd love to play at the mine. Oh. <laughs> well, I'd just like to go out and see one and like also play there. <laughs> well, next time there's an open day that I know of, I'll let you know. And um, yeah, come and check it out and see what you think. And I'll pass on what I know. So just going back to that open day, it was so windy. We went out in the bus and, you know, you, you show your family and this is what I do. And the size of these things are enormous. And it was that windy that nothing was operating because each mine has to work in accordance with the EPA guidelines. So, for example, they can't um, create X amount of dust or noise or light pollution or whatever. And if it's just yeah. too windy, then you just have to call it quits. But, but look, I just, I'll never forget, we went out and my young nephew was there. And we're driving past these big diggers and he looks at me and goes, why aren't they moving uncle Mitch? I'm like, oh mate, I wish I could show you, <laughs> but uh, it is what it is, I suppose. Yeah. Um, who knows? Maybe you could come up here and, and play mullet fest. That'd be awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome. Uh, they, my mullet. I've had a mullet several times. It looks quite good on me. So I think I could do it. I think the the best overall mullet last year was a, was a woman. Cause there's a, a, a men's women's and kids category. And I think, the best overall mullet was a lady from the Central Coast, I think, cool. which, which I think is pretty baller. But anyways, <laughs> it's like, it's just, it's legit. Your, your, your bogans, your burnouts, your beers, and it's just, oh, <laughs> it's not for the faint-hearted, I can assure you. My, I, re- I reckon they'd like my music. <laughs> well, hell yeah, they would, because I tell you tell everyone how good it is. No, I was going to, sorry, that was a bad segue. I was going to ask you, um, coming up on your solo stuff, um, mm. so in between the hiatus and your time just before the piss to perfume come out. Um, what, what, how, how, at, at what point did you go, you know what, I'm going to do this solo thing. Um, and what are some of the key differences of being a solo artist now, as opposed to being in a band? Well, um, I, like I, I probably was always going to do it, but yep. like it was a time thing. Like the, the band was always busy. And so I guess when the band sort of, like we didn't quit we just kind of stopped doing stuff there suddenly became time for me to do it but then there was a long time where I was kind of starting to try and do it and I had no idea what I actually wanted to do and it took me a hell of a lot longer than I thought to work it out and then I think like obviously a really pivotal moment was like one like picking up guitar and then two, like moving to the UK. Um, I've, I've lived in the UK back and forth over the last 10 years, quite a bit, but I moved to Edinburgh rather than London this time. And yeah. um, it was quite quieter and um, I'm a half Scottish. So there was like a little bit of kind of sense of getting back to my roots and just like, it, it was just a magical place. And I kind of, I got the, I got a real job again for the first time since 2008 or something. Yep. And just worked in a cafe, like, um, you know, serving disgruntled Scottish tradies terrible coffee because <laughs> I suck as a barista. And, like, haggis rolls and shit, getting up really early in the morning, like, when it was still dark and raining and right into work. And I was like, whoa, this is, like, a completely different life. All of a sudden I'm just, like, on the other side of the world, freezing yeah. cold, trying to earn eight pounds an hour. And um, lots of songs just started coming to me then. I think there was like a little bit of a reality check of like, well, you're not good at hospitality. So (laughs) work it out, like (laughs) work something out, find some kind of direction here. I've been writing with a bunch of people over the years and like, just, I think a lot of people just had a certain notion about how I was going to go because they had a preconceived idea because the Jezwells, but I was like, I needed to escape that whole thing and just kind of go off and be alone. And I mean, my boyfriend was living with me, but he was off and on tour and 
So I guess that was a big kind of finding my voice kind of era, yeah. I think. yeah. I, I went to live in the UK in 2016. I was in Liverpool for about a year. Um, yeah. You know, I loved it there. I, I'm Irish by descent. So, you know, the fact that it was a hybrid Irish-English city, and it reminds me a lot of Newcastle where I'm from. It's like there's a beachhead, yeah. there's a port there, and it rains all the time. So I was like, you know what? This find kind of feels like home. And London was way too expensive to live in anyways. So it made sense. And, you know, I, I just had a bad breakup. And I was like, well, I need a, a reset. And I need to sort of like get out of my own head for a while. And before I knew it, I was the only Aussie working in a walkabout bar, just making friends everywhere. It was sick. And um, yeah, yeah. so like, you know, it, it's nice to hear that, you know, you can just go and reset and, you know, come back with absolutely pure fire. <laughs> Congratulations on the recent release of your EP, The Drip. It's absolutely awesome. I've really been digging it, and I can absolutely say that it's been getting plenty of spins for sure. Interesting. I've really resonated with the title track, The Drip. So The Drip, obviously, I'm, I'm going back to when you're talking to Matt and Alex, you're talking about like it's a it's it's a, it's a notion of lots of different things, and it's like, you know, that you'll get, you got to be kept awake with this drip outside your window at all hours of the morning. And it's like, I giggled at that as well. But I haven't heard that podcast. I was like, I was so terrible on it that I thought they just weren't going to air it. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of feel like I'm amateurish right now. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. I was like putting my foot in my mouth everywhere I went. Just my, I wasn't prepared because I haven't really done much press in a while. And they were like, you know, what's it about? And I was like, you know what? I have no fucking idea. Shit. I'm, maybe it's this. Hold on. Can we go back? Maybe it's this. And it was like, I was like, if I was them, I would just not put that episode Oh, up. it was funny. It was, it was really good. And. I like That's Alex. Good. Alex then goes, can you tell me about selling kink? And he's just like, well, then then he reference, well, it's like the Cullen Skink Scottish soup meal. Like it's a bit of a play on words. I laughed at that too. That was pretty cool. That's good. That's good. This is making me feel better. But no, you, um, there was nothing wrong with it. It was pure fire. Like every every piece of audio that you're involved with, 110% fire. Guarantee it. <laughs> okay. Good. This is good. I like these compliments. Um, <laughs> you no, know, I'm, I'm, I've got to correct you again on something else, but it's kind of technically you might be sort of right. Please so do. Drip- I don't, I don't want to be uh, seem I'm ignorant. I apologize. No, no, no. The, the drip's technically an EP, even okay, though it's yeah. seven songs and it's basically as long as an album. But I need to make sure people think it's an EP because I haven't put my debut album out yet. Okay. And the reason we chose to do an EP is because. We didn't want to put a debut out. You only get one debut album. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a bit of a moment and we didn't want to put out an album in, you know, COVID and just like not give it all all it could be given. Yep. So we wanted to wait it, wait till touring was back happening before I put out my debut album. So it's an EP, okay, even though it's almost as long as an album and as long as some albums. <laughs> Thanks for correcting me. And uh, you heard it here first, folks. It's an EP, so... Uh, yeah, that's said in the press release but people are calling it an album because it's so long i'm like well i wanted to give it something substantial but i didn't want it to be you know yeah i wanted to build towards an album still uh, fair is there anything in the pipeline anytime soon or i'm just working on stuff now like there's a bunch of songs but um i'm just writing more and now that i'm learning production i'm getting pretty excited about all that and the avenues that that's opening up so i've just got heaps of sort of sketches and a few recorded songs, a few, yeah, there's, there's, there's stuff on the way. It's just kind of like, what's the rush? Like these days with bringing stuff out when you can't tour. So yeah. um, I'm just continuing to write and like sort of still finding my sound a bit. Yep. Um, like I've found it and then it's like sort of evolving. And so, yeah, we'll see. But definitely loads of stuff to come. It's just I have no idea when. No, fair um, enough. I am. Um, well, I like the, the like uh, one thing that, I've like been a fan of is that the the actual range of your voice, like you can smash those high notes and you can hear, you know, you, I'm not musically trained, so I apologize if my terminology is wrong, but just like, and you, you've been able to put on that like sort of rock, rocky sort of grunge like sound as well. Like, I don't know, it's very talented and whatever the correct musical terminology is. Yeah. Like, I don't know. That's, that's one reason I, I'm a big fan of yours is that it's, it's um yeah i don't know like it's just some of the songs as well that you put out like um just going back to cynthia before i was just going to ask you in the song smile there's some pretty powerful lyrics in there and um it's like don't tell me to smile one of the can i quote some of the lyrics to you real quick is that okay oh go for it so some of the lyrics is like (laughs) 
Oh, Mitch, I'm an absolute rookie. <laughs> this is fantastic. Um, so it says, don't tell me to smile. For all you know, I just buried my mother. Like every time I play the song, it's like, it's such a powerful message. It's like, fuck you. Like, this is like my own thoughts. It's like, don't tell me what to do. Like, I'll do yeah. whatever the fuck I want kind of thing. So yeah, I don't know. Like, so some of the songs you put out are quite powerful. I was just going to ask you, like, um, when you're coming up with lyrics and obviously, you know, in your head, you you know what the message is that you want to put out there. I guess, like, after you actually release it and listen back to it, has has some of the lyrics that you've actually come up with hit home more for you after you actually sing it out loud? I kind of write pretty subconsciously most of the time. Sometimes I know what I'm writing out. Like, Smile, I knew what that was kind of roughly about. Yeah. Um, one of the more direct songs I've written, but... I oh I'll do I will just correct myself for a moment there as well. I, I haven't written all of my lyrics. Johnny's co-written some of them. Yep. In my solo stuff, I wrote all the Jezebel's lyrics, but I do some co-writing with um my partner for my solo stuff. So credit yep. where credit's due. What about I was, that? I was but, just, um, just going to mention as well, like shout out to Johnny Took. He's a member of the the DMAs, a very good Australian band. I'm a fan of them as well. Um, yeah. I was just going to ask you, like with your solo career, um, it must be nice to sort of have someone so close in your life to run ideas off and to you know for someone to be musically minded as well um have you guys yeah, yeah like countless like late nights coming up with awesome lyrics and awesome melodies and stuff like that yes but did you want me to answer the previous question first yeah yeah, yeah sorry i get excited <laughs> <laughs> sorry I, I just made a side note about the um having realized i write all my lyrics but in terms of what you asked before about whether sometimes they make sense later or whatever yeah was um i think because you referenced may spray yeah. I think I never really knew what that song was about when I was writing it. Yeah. I was kind of, it was pretty abstract. A lot of Jezebel songs are like that. Like I have no idea what they're really about. And then later I kind of think of like a song like that, I think was about like an ideal. Like um, I was thinking a lot about feminism at that time, but yeah. not necessarily as in like I am a feminist, even though I, in many ways I am. But I was kind of thinking about feminism as a concept and how it can be quite a um, like a bit of a harsh mistress. Like any ideal, they can kind of like, they can be quite hard on you. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like that's kind of what I was thinking about with that song. And yeah, I just that that was something that kind of clicked with me later. It was like a bit of a, a bit of sweetness about the role of feminism in my life. Um, but yeah, in in to jump forward again. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not setting you up easily. I apologize. No, that's cool. To jump forward to the um, the Johnny question. Um, yep. what did you ask again? I was just I was just asking, um, you know, to have someone so close in your life, you, you spoke just before about, you know, how you have had uh, multiple writing sessions and stuff like that. And have you ever been like in the studio or have you ever had a moment like late at night? You're just like, well, hang on, I've got this awesome idea. And you'll be out the guitar and just start jamming at all hours. Like, have you had like heaps yeah, of late often. nights like that? Yeah, that's that's what's so good about our um, relationship in that way. Like I've, I've dated musicians before and it wasn't necessarily like an conducive to collaboration like you don't always even with your mates or whatever not everyone who plays music gels musically so it's not a given that if you're dating a musician that you're gonna like be able to write together um and it was it's just kind of really awesome that we can and I've learned a lot from Johnny because he's the kind of guy who just like you say, like we'll just get up at any moment and like start writing a song for five minutes and then drop it and then go back and do it. It's like, he's not like, um, he's got the right approach in terms of like, it could be anytime, anywhere. If you've got two minutes, you could be writing a song like rather than how I used to put it on a pedestal and it would be like big, you know, writing time now. And like, I've got to do, got to be in the right frame of mind. And I think that was kind of holding me back from developing my solo stuff a fair bit, that kind of pressurized perfectionist sort of putting it on a pedestal and when's the right time to write in the right space. And I've got to go over here to a cabin or some shit. And it was like, I never really did that, but like I would (laughs) idealize writing a bit. And so, whereas Johnny is so in the moment and he's just like gets stuff and does it all the time. And so I've kind of like learned a lot from him in terms of how to just be more prolific 
And that really helps because the more ideas you're coming up with, the more ideas you, you come up with. There's something, it's like, it's like uh, action begets action kind of thing. Yeah, so, so that's been quite a game changer. So it's more like a spontaneous sort of style. It's like, well, hang on, I'm, I'm, I'm got shit's coming to me. Let's do it now, as opposed to like having to feel the pressure of being scheduled to go. Okay, now brain. Do an album now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, and I, I really kind of hate that pressure. I always have, like, even in the Jezebel's days, like I kind of get pretty crippled under it. Yeah. Which is it? It's not a strength. Um, like if you're going to be a serious musician, I suppose you should overcome that. But it's just I hate it when it becomes something external from my creative world, where like, okay, there's this group of industry people and they're expecting something now, and it's got to build and it's got to grow and it's got to feed the cycle and hit like, what's the next thing going to be? And it's like I it that just completely cripples me, and I have to run away and hide. And so running away, what's good about running away and hide? in our own little world is that like Johnny's there and we can always ride at any time and there's yeah. no outside world pressure but it's a really um creative and motivating space so I'm not just hiding and hibernating and not doing anything that's good oh how that's you know how freeing how like how good I mean you know when if you're feeling the pressures of like you know you know you have to have this done at this point and you have to and if you're given confines and then you can't and then, you know, no matter what, what you do in life you can't like if you're restricted in your way of thinking or your approach to what doesn't feel natural then you know it kind of makes it hard and frustrating and i would imagine you know just based on what you said all this freedom you've got now you know it, it's absolutely working for you so you know I'm, I'm happy that you were able to find that you're able to find like people around you that make sense you know that collaboratively creatively and and more in more ways than one so i hope that makes yeah, sense I will say, yeah it does but i will say there's a balance as well though yeah. like too much freedom can be too much and like you know you do need some deadlines and some pressure and otherwise you can just go on noodling forever into oblivion so like uh, there's a you just got to find your own kind of equilibrium with how much pressure you can take how much freedom you need so it's a constant battle trying yeah. to work out what that balance is but yeah, I know when it's starting to be a bit too much, like, all right, where's the next thing? And I'm like, look, this is when I have to go away and you're just not getting anything from me until I'm fucking ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Do you think that's one of the do you think that's one of the um the successes to making it in the music industry is that you know to know your limitations, to spin many plates in you know in, in brackets and to just know what feels what feels good like do you think that's the success to being a good musician, do you think? Um it really depends. So there's being a good musician and there's being a successful musician. Which Sorry, I should have said I should have said successful musician. <laughs> well, <laughs> successful, I mean, in many ways, successful is it's a pretty subjective term. But like you might argue that the most successful people are the ones that just actually just keep turning up. Yeah. And keep often they are prolific and they just keep releasing stuff and they're consistent. Um, sometimes they're fast, but um, I guess it sort of depends on what like what world in which you want to be competing, like if you want to compete in the algorithm and get the pop world going or if you want to if you want to be like a successful artist in terms of you feel like your body of work is articulating something coherent over a period of time and maybe that was slow. I, I, it's, it really just depends on your definition of success, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess um, so. Yeah, it's, a, it's such a like a, a broad term. Um, yeah, but, but limit limitations and knowing them and pushing them slightly, but also using them to your advantage is definitely, I think, something that most artists need to work out. Yep, fair enough. I think might change it up for a bit uh, now so i think um what we might do is this 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 podcast has two sections it's about good storytelling which you've been very kind to share some of your stories so far and there's this next part um i'll get the guests to come on and have a good old whinge wine silk and i was wondering Haley, would you like to join me in having a bitchy with mitchy this week well i'd love to but i couldn't think of anything to bitch about so you might have to give me some ideas okay i've just been living in my little little wonderful world and i don't really have any bad stuff going on for me <laughs> fair enough i um well just recently i was coming off a night shift and you know, you get that shift worker brain. So my shifts are seven till seven PM to AM, AM to PM, like rotating between days and nights. And I 
you know, one of the bitching things is like when you're fatigued, your your brain doesn't fire on all cylinders. And at work, when we start a piece of gear, we're supposed to blow the horn first just to let everyone know we're about to start it. You start it and you blow the horn twice to move forward or three times to go backwards. And yeah. um, <laughs> the, the bitchy was my brain wasn't working the other day and I was just down at my local Coles buying groceries and stuff. And I was that tired. I got in the car and beeped the horn to start it. And that's about... <laughs> <laughs> it's about eight o'clock in the morning and there was <laughs> there was a bloke walk on his trolley to put it return and he jumped about two foot in the air and he started blowing up at me <laughs> like oh shit <laughs> and then afterwards i had my earphones in and um, like connected to my phone bluetooth and then i was like oh this song's a bit loud so i've reached over to my car stereo to turn it down that's how out of it i was hey <laughs> Wow, that is hilarious. I do occasionally, um, it's not exactly the same, but similar. And generally when I'm tired, occasionally like just Google something that I want. Like, like I need to call my friend whose name is Katie and I just start writing her name into Google. <laughs> like That's awesome. <laughs> Katie. <laughs> Somehow that will get me Katie. <laughs> it's like, or yeah, yeah, just... Stupid shit. Oh, can can I can I, oh, I can't believe I'm to say this. Can, the other day, can I share a bit of a? It's not a graphic story, but it's a little bit a little bit graphic. Um, yeah. I was leaving work the other day, and where they do their drug testing randomly is the first toilet as you walk in. So I'm walking out. Brain, this is the same day. Like I was so out of it. I'm walking out, and I didn't see the big sign that says drug testing in progress. I put my bag down, walked in there, did my did my business, and then I walked out, opened the door, and here's the drug testing lady. She said, didn't you see the fucking sign? I'm, so I'm embarrassed as hell. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Proceeded to walk faster, and then the bloke with the little peacup was walking in. And just as the door was closed, all you could hear is, oh, fucking Jesus. <laughs> I, had, I could not get out faster, hey. Oh, <laughs> man, my brain is fucking fried sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Hilarious. So, I like the really bitching, but you know, that's good. What kind of what are your favorite what what kind of topics have you had on where um, people in this section? Uh common yeah. ones are like um traffic. So people um that oh. are selfish and undercutting people and um you know Okay, yeah, I've got one on the okay, traffic. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. It with fucking Victorians not stopping to let you reverse park. Yeah. Like, <laughs> is it not a rule here that you have to let people reverse park? Because I love Victoria, but I was born in New South Wales and I was a New South Welshman for a fair amount of time. Yeah. And as far as I know, the rules generally, well, they definitely are in New South Wales, is that if someone's clearly reverse parallel parking, you have to stop and let them do it. Yeah, it's like if they indicate and do everything they're supposed to do. And they reverse lights when they're going on. And it's like, yeah, as a courtesy, when you're parking, you definitely look to check because sometimes people are kind of going so fast that they should overtake or there's space to overtake or whatever you do. So you always check, but you, you do let them park. In Victoria, no one lets you park. They just <laughs> they just don't. And you have to be really fucking pushy. Uh, they just keep going around you and you're like, what the hell? Like you could just stay there for 20 minutes. And I thought that getting new uh, new Victorian license plates would help this and it hasn't. So I'm just wondering <laughs> if those out there. Is it a rule? Yeah, that you have to actually do it or am i just like am i just living by different rules well like i remember trying to traverse the streets of melbourne driving down to phillip island and i've only driven through melbourne like three or four times and pretty much there it's like it's like a game of frogger you got to try and avoid the trams you got to try and avoid you know um impatient people and uh, it just sounds like an absolute oh you know the light goes on everyone's doing hook turns and shit oh yeah, you just took me back to a very frustrating time going down to the to the superbikes once. <laughs> yeah, You're it's exactly- not so bad once you get used to it. With the like, the hook turns are very rare, and they're actually quite good once you get your head around them. Yeah. Um, and the trams are same thing. Like once you just realize that you just have to stop for them you have a few moments where you freak out and you're like oh my god am i in the bit oh shit uh, should i stop should i go but it's generally yes you should stop <laughs> the light, if their lights are flashing and well, that's the, it and i remember that like if it's a if you're doing a reverse park and the lines are unbroken then you're not allowed to overtake people like you have to wait so based yeah. on that yeah you'd have to wait like that's the 
true definition, I think, or the true ruling of it. So you're exactly right. And well, yeah, uh, with the, I, I think you actually just have to wait anyway, unless you can overtake without stopping them from parking. Yeah. And like, like I'm pretty sure you just have to let them park. Like no questions asked. Because otherwise they're just going to be blocking out the traffic for ages. And it's like, anyway, look, I've had my beer. But it happens every day and I'm just like, what the fuck is wrong with people? Oh, if you on it, you know that have you ever like it's taken 10 minutes to put on dash cam footage Australia on YouTube or something? Oh man. If you had a dash cam in my car when it comes to shit like that, then oh people yeah, just going, oh my goodness, you're a cranky sod. <laughs> yeah. I I I, I couldn't do that because I just dropped the C bomb way too much. Um yeah, I well, me too. Trust me. I work around some of the most like, you know. Oh, I bet. prolific swearers in the world like there's a guy i work with he's uh his name's Cess from Cessnock. i'm not sure if you're familiar with Cessnock, but um, i am it's, not it's, very uh, know it well then you know the reputation of it being sort of a rough place and morning Cess, or oh, what's good about it mitch and then just walks off i'm like yeah i'm good too thanks mate <laughs> just just an absolute oscar the grouch it's funny as um but you know that's that was a good bitch and i wanted to also say that you know if everything goes ahead um there's a tour happening later this year with yourself and holly holly is that right hopefully yeah yeah that's the plan and um (laughs) i have secured my tickets to see you play at the civic theater if it all goes ahead on november 19 i think it is is that newcastle Yep, yep, that's the the yeah. old Civic Theatre right on Hunter Street. Yeah. It's a gorgeous um well you probably played there a few times. It's a it's a gorgeous old theatre. Can't remember if I have, maybe. Um, but I am looking forward to it and I really hope that the tour goes ahead. They've had to cancel quite a few, so I feel for them on it. Yeah, I, um that's um yeah. I've just yeah, I just hope like as of today, the whole state's going into a lockdown in about twenty minutes, apparently. So Yeah, so that's kind of not doesn't bode well for well, so if you <laughs> If you're if you're out there, absolutely do the right thing so we can get some good music back on track. Um, and you know, all your music is streaming on all the streaming playlists, uh, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you find them. Um, yeah. Now, before we close out, Haley, is there anything that you want to close out on, or is there anything you want to say? I think I'm good. Oh, that's good. Um, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I started off a bit, bit rocky, a bit shaky, a bit nerve wracking, and and uh, towards the end, after I had a good old bitch, I've, uh, I felt, I feel heaps better. But um, uh, yeah, no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> from the absolute bottom of this big mushy heart of mine, I just legitimately wanted to say thank you. I mean, I know it's you've probably done a thousand of these um, interviews and stuff, but I just I know that when you get to talk to someone you admire very much for the art they create, it means the world. So I just wanted to say thank you sincerely. Oh no, thank you so much for having me. I had I had a great time, and definitely send me that um, info you know have about playing at the mines i'd love to know about it yeah well um the open days and i'll send you like there's a a local magazine called the coalface as well they might actually i'm appearing in that in next month's issue i forgot about that um so all the miners out there have a look have a look at that and they're they're the media sort of um i guess you could say the media people in that industry but um i'll send you what i know and yeah uh, hopefully we can have you plan up here soon that'd be awesome that'd be fun (laughs) all right Thank you. Thank, thanks for, for having me, Mitch. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, Haley. And I'll make sure I, I, I list all of your um, bona fides and the correct spelling in in this week's bio. Um, so, yeah, once again, thanks for your time and, and hopefully see Fun. you in November. Cheers. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. As always, there's a multitude of ways to get in contact with the show. Check out www.lifesofmitchpodcast.com, all one word. And please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to get involved with the show, hit the email icon on the website. Share your story and I'll try and get you on. Also on the website, you'll find a few different links for streaming services available. And as always, I want to say thank you all for listening and I'll catch you on the next one.